Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Boar Film Podcast. Today, I'm here with Sophia Stanford talking about chick flicks. So, Sophia, how are you? I'm doing well today. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Now, chick flicks are an interesting one. Even the name itself comes under a lot of flack. You know, people think it's unfortunately gendered discriminatory in that Mm. sort of sense. Mm. So before we even talk about specific films, what do you think about the name of the genre? Um, Well, I had that thought as well. I find it a really ridiculous name. It's so kind of misogynistic and dismissive. Oh, it's just a chick flick and be rooted in something kind of in only what girls like. And when I was actually researching this podcast, I saw a tweet that Netflix had tweeted a couple of years ago saying something similar about like, oh, can we stop calling films chick flicks? Like, because it implies that only girls like these movies and boys don't and it kind of genders them and it kind of suggests this sense of kind of frivolousness and a dismissal which I think stems from something a lot more misogynistic yeah no I I completely understand that I mean I guess there is like a pejorative that's used towards films entirely aimed Mm. at men that is specifically rude which is the term like dick flicks you hear used (laughs) yeah that's yeah good comparison yeah so I've looked it up on Wikipedia because, as we know, mm-hmm. Wikipedia is never wrong. It's always correct on absolutely <laughs> everything. And here we go. This is how it defines chick flick. It says chick flick is a slang term sometimes used pejoratively for the film genre catered specifically to women's interests and is marketed towards women demographics. They generally tend to appeal to a younger female audience and deal mainly with love and romance. What do you think of that definition? Um... I feel like it's quite a ghettoizing and isolating definition to imply that it's so heavily gendered and so um, kind of segregated and focused only on young female audiences. And I can see that that is a target audience. And I definitely watched a lot of chick flicks when I was younger and I can attest to a lot of my female friends did, but I wouldn't necessarily say that that's the sole audience. When even talking about this with my flatmates that I was doing this, and I was saying that I was talking about chick flicks and they're boys and they were like, oh yeah, no, I like a chick flick. Like, and it was just interesting, this idea that it felt indulgent and kind of wrong to like a chick flick. And especially as a boy to be like, oh yeah, there is that kind of stigma attached to it, that it is a pejorative, as you said. Um, and that it's, yeah, it's isolating as a genre. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. Like, I, I definitely agree that just as a term, it feels very sort of throwaway and pejorative and mm. you know, chick flicks, whatever, like kind of throw those all yeah. into in. I mean, I, I like to hear that you're living with uh, boys who are into chick flicks. That's good to hear. I mean, yeah, I, I guess one of we- them loves the musical as well. So we've got a whole array of. <laughs> oh, I love I love like classic MGM musicals from the 50s. Amazing. You know, Singing oh. in the Rain, Star is Born, go mad mm. over them. I mean, I guess, are you okay with using the term chick flick throughout this podcast? Well, that's what I was thinking as well. I was, when I like sat down and thought about it, I didn't know what to title it otherwise, because I I agree that chick flicks, the word itself, like speaks volumes about how it's regarded publicly and even like seen through a male gaze, like, oh, it's a chick flick. But I wouldn't say that it's then a girl's film and again when I was looking some of this stuff up I found a website where it said um oh the list of the best girl movies of all time and even that I felt was ridiculous because it implies that boys can't like it and own, girls only like chick flicks and it invalidates both of those things so I don't know what else I would title it as rom-coms also has the same kind of attachment to it I find as well I thought that would be the closest kind of relative word to it mm. Yeah, I suppose you're right there. I mean, for some reason in my head, I always kind of separate the two between rom-coms and chick flicks because, mm. I, I mean, like when I think of rom-com, this is my sort of film nerd side kicking in. I'm thinking of stuff from the 40s, like the Philadelphia story and the Lady Eve, all these sort of classic Hollywood mm. golden age films that I, I love, brilliant romantic comedies. And I don't necessarily think of them as chick flicks. I mean, like for me, the term chick flick, if I'm thinking of it, is like Catherine Heigl. <laughs> you know, that's mm. that's kind of the world of that for me. Yeah, I can, I, yeah, that's a really interesting point that they, there is like a crossover, but perhaps there is more validity to the word rom-com and there's more of a plot set up and things like that. But 
I don't know. Even that, I don't think is true. I think that dismisses how much hard work is put into a chick flick. And I feel that you get a lot out of a chick flick in many other ways. And again, thinking about like how many really poorly done action movies and fantasy movies and other kind of typically male films are produced and released and people have time for and aren't ridiculed as much. It's just this really interesting double standard and parallel that, uh, yeah, I believe I could get more out of a chick flick than a terrible action movie, poorly plotted and whatever. I can see that there's a better message in a chick flick, but I don't think people would necessarily respect that. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I mean, to be honest, I think even if like a, a chick flick, if we if we're gonna like call it that throughout, even if it's like mm. genuinely pretty bad, you can still kind of enjoy it ironically. Whereas a lot yeah. of action films, yeah. when they're bad, they're just pretty unwatchable. I mean, <laughs> yeah, they're just boring. But I think there's something fun and indulgent about a chick flick, which shouldn't be demonized, however oh. cheesy and ridiculous it is. Oh yeah, or at least equal demonization for really dull. really bad action movies exactly right well i thought i'd just start by asking you what are some of the chick flicks that you relate to which ones do you like which ones are like the formative chick flicks the canon Mm. um i love whatever wears prada i think that one's a great one like super fun to watch mal streep's a dream and like the fashion's great it's yeah it's super fun and like i i find it twitter really loves to rinse the boyfriend that um he's actually the antagonist in the movie not Meryl Streep and saying like oh he's putting himself before her career and even that again like there's not there's it can be quite political if you want to make a chick flick political there's something out there for it or Legally Blonde's also great I can talk about that forever brilliant I mean in terms of The Devil Wears Prada there's there's a really great scene in that like I enjoy it I definitely enjoy that film like it is just a classic mm. like oh it's just starring an ITV2 yeah I'll watch this yeah um but like there's a great speech in it that I think is genuinely really 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 well acted a good dramatic moment in the film which is Stanley Tucci's character and Stanley mm. Tucci's great in everything he's in he's yeah. never given a but bad performance no but he was great in that as well he can really perform for that Absolutely. And he gives the speech about what the the magazine, what it means to him. And he gives that mm. speech about how this is like a beacon of hope to a boy hiding under his sheets yeah. when his parents want him to be in a football team. And it's brilliant. Yeah. It's so interesting. And yeah, it, I mean, absolutely that kind of what fashion means to people and like how it can be something bigger. And even, even that is kind of validating the fashion world, which is quite a traditionally, again, female realm and can can be dismissed and I think there's a scene with the belt where there's like two belts which look exactly the same and the girl's like oh they're they're, they're so different or like they're so similar how can you choose and she Meryl Streep kind of loses it and goes a bit like these belts and these colors have been chosen for you like you don't have any control about what you wear and your identity because we actually kind of control that not in like a totalitarian 1984 way but in that like it's respected as an art and we put thought into it and this is just trickling down into what you buy and actually the belts are incredibly different because they mean something like each one's different and even that was interesting that you know Andy dismisses the fashion world and she's kind of oh a bit boho doesn't care how she looks when actually these are this is these are people's lives and worlds that are completely invested in and should be respected and it's just interesting this kind of dichotomy between the two. Absolutely. And already, I think, just talking about Devil Wears Prada, you can see that there's more depth to it than just, oh, it's a chick flick. Yeah, absolutely. And again, like, as I was thinking about all the others, other chick flicks, and, like, starting to analyse them, as an English student would, I thought that um, there's a lot to them. Like, even St. Trinian's, when I was like, I can't really think of how that could be, you know, deemed as... I, I, I do not say that any of these movies are necessarily well-produced or higher art but I think that they are saying something and even St Trinian's kind of does like observe the cliqueiness of girl groups and trying to find an identity as an adolescent and it proves that there is more depth to these quite sexist tropes and like the first one that I could think of was the um the ditzy blonde airhead who actually wins the competition at the end or even the I think it's the emo she's scared of heights and it's I know they're poking fun at these stereotypes but these caricatures are kind of still important and 
I actually felt was quite formative when I was younger. I was like, oh my God, yeah, this is so much fun. <laughs> oh, St. Trinian's is like a mini classic, I think. That's, it's that's brilliant. <laughs> it's one of those films that pretty much, it, it, it's not talked about too much, but then whenever someone brings it up, I think everyone in the room is like, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I remember that. That was great. I mean, it is fun and it is ridiculous and it's just indulgent. Oh, absolutely. I completely agree. Some interesting facts about that one. The lead in it, Tallulah Riley, was married to Elon Musk. Did you know that? Yes, twice, actually. I think she divorced him and remarried him. Ridiculous. Which, that's like a mind-blowing revelation to me, because she's also yeah. uh, Miss Evangelista in the Doctor Who serial Silence in the Library. Oh, yeah, no, I'm not, I never really watched Doctor Who, but I can see that that's a big crossover. Yeah, I mean, it's all of that kind of time, isn't it? The 2007 thing. Mm. And, and again, on Doctor Who, um, of course, Jodie Whittaker is in St. Trinian's. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember she was the receptionist, wasn't she? She was great. She was very funny. Yeah, and David Tennant is in the sequel. So it's all connected. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I, I love St. Trinian's. And not just the... Um, the the 21st century centuries. I love the I really love the 50s and 60s ones with. Uh, oh, I didn't know there were. It was like a remake. Oh yeah, there was loads of Saint Trinian's films back in the. I think it was the 60s when there were really loads of them. The Great Saint Trinian's Train Robbery is one that I watched a lot as a kid. It's very funny still. Oh cool. So that's Saint Trinian's. You mentioned Legally Blonde. Now I could talk about Legally Blonde for <laughs> hours. I mean, I, I, I guess I'll just have to. Say right off the bat, I grew up for the most part of my childhood in a house with my mom and my older sister. So I watched lots mm. of films like this a lot as a kid <laughs> and as, as a young teenager. And Legally Blonde is one of those ones that was like, if we couldn't agree on a film to watch, it would be Legally Blonde. It was a go-to, yeah. Yeah. So I've seen that maybe like oh, eight times at least, you know, yeah. just... No, I think Legally Blonde's great. And I know, again, super cheesy, but it has a great message, like claiming back her narrative and it, it's so unrealistic but it's hilarious and how she can just not see how intense Harvard is or any of that and just being like oh what like it's hard to get into law school I'm just like yeah you know what go off like <laughs> there's some fantastic lines in Legally Blonde there's the bit where she's sending in her her sort of tape for acceptance at Harvard yes yes <laughs> when she's in the pool there's the line in it where she says I use legal language on a day-to-day -day basis and she gets wolf whistled in the street and then turns to the man and says I object <laughs> I do not consent to be objectified <laughs> that's amazing that's such a good little joke and um <laughs> that's the bit um where the the trial scene near the end of the film where Luke Wilson's character has to prove that a man telling mm. a story is gay and the way he manages to prove it is he asks him like a rapid sequence of questions and then ends it with, and your boyfriend's name? And he just he says, oh, Chuck. He just responds. <laughs> Again, it's brilliant. It's so funny. Yeah. Or even how she wins the court case of, um, I think the girl gets a perm and then she says she's had a shower and she's like, oh, but you can't have a shower after you have a perm. Isn't that right? And again, it's, it's hilarious that that's what she's caught out on, but only she would recognise. And... Yeah, again, even that kind of proves that something incredibly female and feminine and like the whole idea of, oh, it's just hair, oh, it's not important and it's dismissed actually is important. Yeah, and it, um, it gets an innocent woman exonerated. Yeah, out, exactly. That's a great message. And the woman who gets and... the, the perm is called Chutney. I remember that. Oh, God. <laughs> and she's played by Linda Cardellini who's in Freaks and Geeks, which I love, and she plays Velma in the Scooby-Doo films. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Freaks and, Greeks, Freaks and Geeks was great. <laughs> oh, man, I love Freaks and Geeks. Honestly, that's one I of my favorites. I only had one season. Yeah. Cancelled way before its time. Amazing. Absolutely. All the music in it is great, too. Oh, mm, great cast. Amazing cast. I mean, man, I mean, like Jason Segel, James Franco... Mm. it's like that whole sort of mid-2000s Judd Apatow pack of actors but before they were famous really yeah and even that was again to be the feminist and like psychoanalyze that as well I can't remember what the blonde character was called um oh yeah Busy Phillips character in it 
Yeah. I can't remember what she, oh, Kim something. Yeah, I think it might have, yeah. Either way, again, I think that's a, she's another really interesting kind of female character that you can look at more deeply that she's dismissed as this kind of, like, bitchy girl and kind of, like, dropout and all these kind of things. And actually, she, again, proves there's more depth to her character. And I think she's slut-shamed as well. And all these different things that these, these particularly these naughty movies really engage with a lot of misogynistic ideas and issues and create a discourse around it that I hadn't really respected until I had to start to think about why they were dismissed and demonized. I think that's a fantastic point. I mean, I think a, a part of the Legally Blonde, I rewatched it maybe a year or so ago. And the part that really stood out to me, given, you know, watching it in a post Me Too context, is mm. the fact that that one lecturer is yes, uh, the sexual harassment. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a really crucial part of the film. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I don't really think it's touched on in many other movies in quite the same way. And again, the movie is supposed to be cheesy and ridiculous, but it's a really serious issue that she, and a real, real serious problem that she's faced with and that she needs to kind of overcome and, or not that she needs to overcome, but again, it's something that, a problem that she's presented with and lots of other women are presented with. I mean, in terms of that, like in, in that that character who's harassing Elle Woods, he manages to kind of turn the women that work for him against each other. He's that toxic. Mm. So you see yeah. the impact of that on her friendship with the character that's dating Warner. So yes, yeah. That's really interesting. That's a really good aspect of that film. I mean, we haven't even talked about Bend and Snap yet, which is obviously the most iconic part. Oh, no, I've... Oh yeah, no, I, yeah, definitely iconic. And again, that she unifies all these women in the um, the nail bar, and she wants to she wants to help them. It is it is a great source of female unity. And again, as you said, the girl that um, Warner dates, how uh, they become divided, and there's like a competition for them. But actually, at the end, like like the sense of community and like friendship is kind of seen, and they both realize that Warner is just a terrible, terrible person. <laughs> Absolutely. And they're both better off without him. And that's how it, yeah. it ends. I mean, and of course, there is the iconic character, the greatest of them all, Dorky David, who must be my favourite. Oh, yeah. I love Dorky David. Great character. <laughs> he comes through. He helps. He helps her with the legal aspects of the thing. He helps her get books off shelves. Brilliant. Yeah. Dorky David. We stan. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> now... I thought I'd just mention a couple of other films that are often called chick flicks mm. and just get your, your take oh, yeah. on If you go on the Wikipedia page for chick flick, oh, the first photo go. that turns up is for Twilight. Really? Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's really interesting. Oh, God, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, because where does Twilight fall? That's a good question. I mean, for years... Years and years. And I think, like, I, I was definitely part of this. And I think most people were to some degree part of it, unless they were big fans. It was so dismissed, Twilight. It's just, oh, it's awful. Mm. It's terrible. Oh, bad. And I mean, like, I watched the first one maybe, like, near enough when it came out when I was very young. And I thought, this is genuinely terrible. Then I watched it again when I was about 16. And I thought, no, this is great. <laughs> Completely. Yeah, I, I started out ironically watching them with my friends and being like oh my god this is a laugh this is hilarious but actually we all quite enjoy watching them now like again unironically we'll put it on and be like oh yeah this, yeah let's watch twilight tonight like i oh. get a lot out of them as well <laughs> i absolutely love twilight the first one's directed by Catherine hardwick and it looks gorgeous that sort of bleak yeah the blue yeah blue toning bluey gray forest mm. oh it's lovely i gen genuinely love the sort of color palette of that first film yeah when they have the um the baseball game as well like and everyone's so blue toned it's gorgeous and it's scored to supermassive black hole by muse yes yes and oh great i mean actually the scores in twilight are really good the scores in twilight That's are the fantastic other thing. yeah I think the music was composed for some of those films by Carter Burwell, who works with the Coen brothers. So he was a really skilled Wow, yeah. Composer. I just remember um, Rosalind by Bon Iver and St. Vincent really popped off and everyone loves it. And it is a great song. And it's just, yeah, again, the score was so good. They got some really good 
people in for that. You mentioned Bonavera and St. Vincent. Rosalind's amazing. Love that song. Mm. In terms of other musicians in the in the film and bands that you know d- gave their music to it, you've got like Linkin Park is in it. You've got Muse, mm. which I've already mentioned. Yeah. You've got Death Cab for Cutie, which is just perfect. I love it. You've got um, Metric, which I love. And most importantly, composing original music for the first film, you've got Paramore, <laughs> which is great. You've got Decode and um, I Caught Myself, and they're both amazing tracks. <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah, I completely credit um, the music in Twilight for changing the ambience completely. Oh, absolutely. And again, the cast is wonderful. Anna Kendrick. Mm. Yeah. She, oh, in her pre-Pitch Perfect days, what a treat. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, like Anna Kendrick, those, those, those few years, like I think Twilight's 2008. Then in 2009, she's in Up in the Air, and I love Up in the Air. Then 2010, she's in Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, which might be my favourite film. And then after that, <laughs> you know. Off she goes. Takes off completely. <laughs> Oh, I mean, in terms of the Twilight films, do you have a favourite of the, the four? Or five? Mm. Are there five of them? The Breaking Dawn's in part one there and is two. Five, there are part one and part two. I was about to say, I think it might have to be the part ones and twos at the end. Just because, again, like the whole kind of narrative around her pregnancy and then the fight at the end, I, I just... I think they're quite humorous, but maybe I'm liking them for the wrong reasons. But again... I quite like New Moon, which I think is an unpopular one. People find that one quite boring, probably because Edward's not in it. But um, I quite like New Moon. I think the like the setting there is really great as well. All the time in the woods is really cool. Um, yeah, what about you? What's your favourite? Oh, good question. I mean, I think the first one would always be my go-to just because that's mm. the first one I the saw. Color. I really, I just love the vibe of it. I love like any like high school kind of film. Usually, if it's done well yeah. enough, or if it's cheesy enough, yeah. I, I get into it. And I think these films only improve. And I think it's only the case with Twilight One and Eclipse, the third one. They have, if you get the DVDs, commentary tracks by Kristen Stewart, Rob Pattinson. Oh, and they, really? They tear into them. They point out basically every flaw. Oh, really? Which That's is so really interesting. Funny. Yeah, I, I also find it hilarious that Robert Pattinson hated every minute of filming um, Twilight. I just think it makes everything better. And that they dated and then broke up whilst they were filming. Just, there are so many layers to it. It's all fantastic. I mean, like there's stuff that you can't unnotice once you've listened to the commentary track for the first film, which is that there's a bit where I think it's Alice is holding a bowl and... Um, then one of the because she's cooking for Bella and then one of the other characters says oh Bella just ate and Alice breaks the bowl and they point out that's the only scene in the film where Alice wears gloves because they tried to do it before and they'd like cut their hands trying to break the bowl oh god oh (laughs) (laughs) like seeing through it all yeah there's all those kinds of details there's there's the classic bit that is very funny that they, they make fun of on the commentary track, which is that when Bella goes into Edward's room for the first time, the f- literal first thing she says is, you haven't got a bed. <laughs> yeah, I know. Even that, all of that's hilarious. Because doesn't he just have like a chaise long or something? Oh. Um, and he plays his classical music and just looks out the window and he's really pensive. <laughs> and he utters the immortal line, hold on tight, spider monkey. <laughs> I mean, oh. I could talk about the Twilight films all day because I genuinely really enjoy them. They're a great, like, binge if you just want to binge a series Absolutely. of films. They're such an easy go-to, like, whether you're having a good or bad day, like, I will just pop it on. We should think- talk about this on another podcast episode. I would happily come back and speak about them for hours. <laughs> Honestly, I'd love to do that too. I'll literally just leave on one last thing because I don't want to forget to mention yeah. Breaking Absolutely. Dawn Part 1. I think it's the mm-hmm. literal opening shot of the film is Jacob taking his shirt off. Oh god. <laughs> and it's it just it's right out the gate with it. It's amazing. Yeah. But no, yeah. honestly, I'd love to do a full length on Twilight. Yeah, I'm um, let me know. Let me know. I will yeah, I can again can speak about them for days. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. I thought another name that's kind of synonymous with uh the chick flick, the rom com mm. is Julia Roberts. Yes. The nineties chick flicks are quite different, aren't they? That's a good point, actually. I mean, like, the, the, the two that really spring to mind to me 
are The Runaway Bride and Pretty Woman. Mm, I've not seen them Runaway Bride, but Pretty Woman is a classic. It's it's great. Oh, oh, please do tell me your thoughts on it. What do you like about it? I think it's interesting to have a sex worker's perspective. How, although I'm not really sure how authentic it is, I can imagine it's a slightly glamorized, but it does kind of touch on issues of poverty and lack of protection in the workplace and things like that for all sex workers. But the love story's great and the clothes are great. And, you know, the iconic scene of her going back to the shop of, oh, do you remember me? And they go, oh, no. And she's like, yeah, well, big mistake. And it's this idea of perceptions and identity and all of that. But no, great movie. Also, one to just put on however I'm feeling. Like, I can just watch it endless times. And it's also one of my mum's favourites. So it's just super easy to, like, get a unanimous decision at home of, yeah, yeah, we're going to watch Pretty Woman now. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. I mean, again, much like, I guess, Twilight, that's one of those ones you can just stick on. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great, it's a great example of like 90s feminism. It's a very sort of like Mm. post 80s individualistic do-it-yourself kind of feminism where that is the final line. Cinderella saves him right back or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When he climbs up the steps (laughs) to rescue her. (laughs) I think my favorite character in that film, I can't remember the character's name, but she's played by Laura's, Laura San Giacomo. It's, oh, is that the roommate? Yeah, the friend who's like a fellow sex worker. She's Yeah, really- yeah, yeah. She's great. She's very funny. But she yeah. also looks out for Julia Roberts, um, or I can't remember her character's name now, but this idea of like looking out for a fellow sex worker and a friend and taking someone under your wing. Yeah, and the sunglasses that she wears in that film, iconic. Yes, iconic. And all the scrunchies and all the denim, like, it's great. Like, the whole aesthetic's brilliant. It's, um, I find it's quite similar to uh, Dirty Dancing as well. I think there's, I don't know when, I think Dirty Dancing's 80s, isn't it? So it's slightly earlier. But um, even, the, again, the aesthetic there, the love story, all the dancing, like, it's just, it's very, yeah also another great one and that you see that's the thing about chick flicks like they are timeless you can watch them again and again and enjoy them and they're fun and so yeah it's just yeah brings it back to how interesting it is that they're dismissed when i think that dirty dancing is like the the cinematography is great in dirty dancing as is the score as is the cast patrick swayze dancing amazing <laughs> i must confess i've never actually seen dirty dancing no wow as film editor that is poor (laughs) (laughs) oh if i watch something i'm trying to watch like you know critically acclaimed italian art films from the 60s or something so i I don't get around to the the really obvious ones that i should have culture icons yeah i think i think this before any italian kind of highbrow indie (laughs) movie i would i would choose this any day Oh, I mean, like, I, I guess I want to see it. I know all the all the iconic lines and the music and everything, and I know that it's Jennifer Grey in the lead, right? Mm, yeah, yeah. But Ferris I don't really see her in any. Um, yeah, apart from Ferris Bueller's, I don't really see her in anything else. I feel like she was a bit of a one-hit wonder, two-hit wonder, maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's a shame because I really like her in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yeah, she's great in Dirty Dancing too. She really embodies the kind of naivety and innocence of baby she's really good as the protagonist well it's definitely one to see then yeah definitely. <laughs> in, in terms of pretty woman i mean the thing that surprised me about that film when i first saw it is the fact that it has jason alexander in it who if you've ever seen seinfeld is george costanza no i've not seen it <laughs> seinfeld is like an obsession of mine i watched it like i probably i must have seen at least one episode of seinfeld on average per day every single day of my teenage years i just watched it that much and okay the funniest character in it is george and it's jason alexander and he plays the really horrible character that beats up julia Roberts. oh yeah the other like lawyer or whatever he is yes yeah and he's, it's he's awful he, he is he's absolutely horrible in it but it's bizarre because in seinfeld he's this kind of goofy fun like neurotic comedy mm. character but he's just like pure evil and pretty woman yeah <laughs> a big switch up Absolutely. I mean, you said that you hadn't seen Runaway Bride. Now it's my time to say you must see it because... Oh, okay. I'll watch it. Yeah. I genuinely love Runaway Bride. That's a really... That's like a... That's a classic go-to. 
It's so fun. Mm. It's really warm. Great extended cast. It's got like Joan Cusack in it. And oh, anyway, I absolutely love Runaway Bride. That's like Richard Gere and Julia Roberts reunited after Pretty Woman. It's got some oh, great okay. ones. Yeah, love. I love, 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 love Runaway Bride. Do you like Richard Gere? That's a good question. Richard Gere is an interesting one because he's had a really interesting, quite strange career in that mm. in his early career, he's in quite like quite edgy films. He's in American Gigolo, which is Paul Schrader. And uh, I haven't seen it, but I've, I've heard good things. And he's in a really, really great film called Yanks, which no one ever talks about. It's a it's a 70s American film that was, oh, I, I want to say American, maybe it wasn't, but it, it's about American soldiers in World War II who are stationed in Yorkshire. And it's really long. It's about three hours long. Mm. And it literally just follows these soldiers in Yorkshire meeting the locals. So it's all these guys from New York and stuff hanging out with people, you know, nearly. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> and Richard Gere is the lead and he's fantastic in that. And then in the 90s, he pivots really hard into rom-coms and uh, chick mm. flicks. And then he's in like Chicago, right? With uh... Yeah. He's an <laughs> officer and a gentleman as well. Yes, absolutely. And that's... yeah. Probably like the midpoint, isn't it? Because that's kind of a rom com. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I can't, I can't put my finger on him because he was, he was like one of the sex icons of the '90s and stuff. And obviously, he was in Pretty Woman and in Officer and Gentleman. I've not seen any of the movies that you mentioned. I, again, chick flick fan, have watched him in all his rom coms and stuff. But yeah, I'm not sure. Maybe it's just personal, but I'm not sure how much of like a romantic lead like how strong he is as a romantic lead I can see that if he if he did all the indie movies before I think that makes more sense because he's got quite like a quiet but kind of brooding character and I guess you do want that for rom-coms but I just just never sold for me but I think I'm probably the minority there I can imagine that he's very popular for everyone of his generation yeah he is a classically handsome man so I guess that's yeah. kind of real help <laughs> and another shout out by the way to um days of heaven which is a 70s film he's in by terence malick which is a really very beautiful arty kind of film <laughs> so he was in some really like the absolute polar opposite of what you know him for yeah now. yeah and changing that identity up and he went out with um cindy crawford as well i think bit of uses pop trivia i think but yeah i just remember that that's very interesting movies. yeah he really got you, again, sex icon of the nineties. <laughs> uh, what a decade! I mean, this is this is like yeah. the nineties is kind of like um, if the eighties is kind of the decade of like the teen film in many different mm. ways. The nineties is kind of like the crucible that forged the the modern chick flick that we know now, and then the two thousand yeah. is just like every single one of them. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay. I've got a big list here um, of other other films often called chick flicks to talk about. Have you seen You've Got Mail? Oh, um, yes, I have actually. Like many, many years ago. It's um, it's, isn't it the same guys that was in When Harry Met Sally? I've not watched that one. Is it the same cast or is it Tom Hanks? I can't remember. I remember watching it, but it's so long ago now. I actually can't remember. I think it might be the same writer as When Harry Met Sally, Nora Ephron. Yeah. Google that. Yeah. Let's look it up here. When Harry Met Sally was written by Nora Ephron, who, if we just look it up, was also the writer on You've Got Mail. There you go. And she directed it as well. That was a crossover. Yeah. So that's. Uh, Yeah, I can't can't quite remember. that very well and I've not seen Harry Met Sally either which I think is really poor of me as a chick flick fan (laughs) (laughs) well I would definitely recommend You've Got Mail that's really really fun I mean pretty much any film with Tom Hanks in the lead you're going to have a decent enough time Mm. Um, Mm. but it's it's got a really interesting side cast again it's got Heather Burns in it who you might not know by name but and I'm going to get into this one in a minute she's Miss Rhode Island and Miss Congeniality Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So I'm happy to watch anything with her in. Um, And it's also got, like, Greg Kinnear in it. It's got Steve Zahn in it. It's got Dave Chappelle in it, which is bizarre. It's weird seeing him in, like, a a fun, light (laughs) rom-com, knowing his comic style. Um, 
So I would, I would definitely recommend You've Got Mail. That's incredibly fun. And there's a very interesting video online that you can find, which says that the film is actually like a really subtle commentary on fascism, which is bizarre. It, it, if you don't know the plot Ooh. to the film, for people who haven't seen it, it's about Tom Hanks runs Fox Books, which is this massive chain bookstore. It's like it's like a, like a Waterstones kind of equivalent. And the Meg Ryan character runs this very small family-run bookshop that's beloved mm. by everyone who goes to it and it's been there since the dawn of time you know and then the the plot of the film spoiler alert is that the tom hanks store just destroys her business but she marries him uh in the well not marries i mean she gets with him in the end that's the that's the plot of the film it's a rom-com but people a lot of the commentary on the film is well the tom hanks character is like everything wrong with american capitalism <laughs> <laughs> i mean they're not wrong Massive conglomerate destroying small independent businesses. I can see that argument. So it, it, that's an interesting one um, to look at. Another film on the list, Bridesmaids. I've not watched that one, actually. I, um, I remember when it came out, it caused like a massive stir, but I've, I never got around to watching it either. I, I, I take quite a lot of pleasure in, uh, in Bridesmaids. I find it very fun. It's a very entertaining film. I think the reason it caused such a stir when it came out is that it's quite an explicit film in ways that you don't expect it to be. Oh, you know what? That's right. I remember I was on a flight somewhere a couple of years ago, or uh, yeah, however, however many years ago, and I was like, oh yeah, I'll watch Bridesmaids. And I think the opening scene is like a sex scene. And I was like, I can't watch this on a plane. And I turned it off. <laughs> and so I never watched it again. I was just like, I can't. I can't watch this in the middle aisle. <laughs> oh, well, that's that's very understandable, especially yeah. watching it in public. I mean, that's the opening scene. There's a lot of stuff like that in it throughout. But the bit that like is jaw-dropping that you don't see in many other films at all, never mind in a chick flick. And like it's one of those things where you kind of feel bad laughing at it. There's a scene where Kristen Vig's character um, is working in a shop and she's arguing with this this teenage girl who can't be much older than 15. And the argument gets so heated that at one point, Kristen Fick's character just screams the C word at this girl. <laughs> and you're like, my, what? You, it, it's such a shocking word to hear in any film, but especially in Bridesmaids, you don't see it coming at all. No. It's genuinely jaw-dropping, that scene, but it is very funny. Oh. Well, I would definitely recommend Bridesmaids. Again, great cast. Chris O'Dowd's in it. It's got John Hamm. Don Draper from Mad Men. Mm. Ellie Kemp is in it as well, if you're a fan of The Office. She's one of the bridesmaids. Oh, yeah. My yeah no, that, I, I remember the cast is really good. Yeah, it's it's great. Would would highly recommend Bridesmaids. That's an incredibly fun one. Okay, so let's go on. I'll try and... Hopefully you've seen this one. Have you seen Mean Girls? Yes. 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 <laughs> yeah, cult classic. Of course I've seen it. Mean um, Girls... I think it's great yeah it might be the best one of all of them i think i think by popular opinion it is definitely like ever it's like everyone's go-to it's the one that everyone sees and it's again i think it's one that and not to gender it again but lots of boys have seen mean girls as well like they're able to to what like they've all everyone's seen mean girls basically <laughs> yeah written by tina fey who wrote you know 30 rock comedy series um and she also acts in it. She's the teacher. It's such a good, funny, consistently witty, insightful script. Yeah. There's, it's very, 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 very relatable. I think that's maybe why boys like it as well. Mm. There's that great moment mm. where <laughs> Lindsay Lohan misses out on the sex education class. And she says, oh, I don't know what I missed that day. And it just cuts to the teacher saying, if you have sex without a condom, you will die. <laughs> it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's just brilliant fantastic because honestly i remember having lessons that were not too much far off from that growing up in Shropshire. No, I, I agree i was about to make the point that i find sex education in uk schools still quite a lot like that very kind of don't get pregnant don't get a disease and just like send you off and they're like yep that's it well done like it, it, very it, interesting commentary it always seemed like shock tactics to me having mm, those kind of lessons yeah. it, was, it was like this could happen this would be you know yeah to scare you off it yeah yeah I, I, yeah I wasn't too big a fan of it to be honest no. um but Mean Girls however is fantastic uh Rachel McAdams is Regina George yes brilliant 
She's Rachel, so she's so well cast. Rachel McAdams has been in films like Spotlight, which is incredible. Really good drama. Yes, I love Spotlight. Amazing. Spotlight's fantastic, and yet I think Regina George is going to be the performance she's always remembered for. <laughs> yeah, for sure, absolutely. She she does quite a few chick flicks. She did The Notebook as well, didn't she? Yes. Um, with uh, Ryan Gosling. But no, I think, yeah, Mean Girls a very interesting commentary on high school and adolescence as well. Super interesting. And again, the cliqueiness of girls that you had a bit in Fate Trinian, but it's it's like bigger than that. And all the bullying and the body image thing. I remember like she's given the bars, which actually make you put on weight. And it's this whole, it's a really interesting idea of, yeah, body image and the cool girl trope and yeah. It was, it was, yeah, it's great. I think quite ahead of its time, actually. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway. I mean, like, it, it's interesting watching it because the entire way through, you just think if you just hung out with um, Janice Ian and the other friend, the one who's quote, oh, yeah. function, you'd be fine. I mean, like, you just need to hang out with them. It's the fact that yeah. she's kind of drawn to the, the mean girl group that just, I, I mean, basically, it makes her incredibly unhappy eventually. And it's the shattering of that group that makes everything right with the world by the end of the film. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting idea of kind of, I don't know how far it would get in like today's idea of like feminism, this kind of competition between these two groups and two ideas of feminism. And I think it brings in, um, have you have you seen Gone Girl? No, I haven't. Oh, that's another really good movie I recommend. But um, the, because it was based on a book and in the book there's an essay called The Cool Girl. And actually um, they say it in the movie as well. They speak over like this montage of this essay. And it's really interesting. It's this idea of like the cool girl is super skinny and slim and pretty, but knows how to fix cars and will burp and eat like food, but is super sexy and is kind of like the Megan Fox in Transformers and all of these like Cameron Diaz in like the noughties and stuff. And it's this unrealistic like unattainable woman that again is crafted out of the male gaze but I think it can be applied to Lindsay Lohan's character as well because she's kind of a bit she's like oh I'm like the new girl I'm really cool and she wears like the baggy clothes but then she also is Lindsay Lohan and super pretty and she wants to be the sexy girl as well and like be with the cool girls and again it's this really interesting idea of this like mold of a female character and it being controlled outside of her but again, I think the, the bullying trope is really interesting as well about the bitchiness of girls when you grow up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think Lindsay Lohan in the film is described by other characters as a quote, is it regulation hottie? Is that the phrase they used to describe? Yeah. The, the bullying side of it's interesting. It's all very Machiavellian what's going on with that group. Mm. Yeah, that's a good word to describe it. It is. There's, yeah, I mean, like, because there's the bit where they have the phone calls, like, oh, don't tell her that I've said this. And the Regina George character immediately phones up Lindsay Lohan and says, oh, she said this about you. Yeah, absolutely. It's just trying it to spread. It is insightful. It's, yeah, it's because it is very funny because you, you know people like that. Everyone knows these characters. They are so, like, present everywhere. And it's just to poke fun at these really ridiculous kind of caricatures of it is brilliant. It's so clever. Yeah, and it and it's a good early role for Amanda Seyfried as well. Yes, great. It's the Ditty Airhead. It's like, oh, it's raining now. It's like, brilliant. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> she says that she, she, yeah, I can sense when things are going to happen. I have a fifth sense. I have a fifth sense. <laughs> no, she's great. She's absolutely brilliant in it, and I mean the side cast's wonderful as well. You've got Kevin G, the rapping lad of the Mathletes. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that but his routine always makes me laugh. I, but then, I mean, there are a few films that are so iconic that Ariana Grande has based a music video around them. Yes, that was one of the points that I wanted to make that I think it's really interesting that they kind of got reclaimed and moved, put into Thank You Next. And she did all the chick flicks, didn't she? Well, not all of them, but she did 13 Going On 30. She did Bring It On. Very, very, like, interesting... And even Clueless, uh, Clueless as well by Iggy Azalea and her music video Fancy, that these kind of movies are just being kind of co-opted and retargeted to like a younger audience, I thought was really interesting. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, I think that a lot of these films just have such cultural staying power. I mean, Clueless, for example, yeah. I wanted to talk about that as well. Are you a fan? 
Um, yes, I um I haven't seen it in a really long time. But um I again the fashion in it's great and there's so many like famous one liners and the characters are really interesting as well and like all of those dynamics. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's directed by Amy Heckerling, who also directed Fast Times at Richmond High, which is one of the best teen films of the 80s. Um, my friend Sam, who could talk about Clueless at length, it's one of his favorite films ever. He's been on the podcast a couple of times. His point is that Clueless is the ultimate film of the 90s. Mm, it does seem that way. Like, it is brought up always. Yeah, I mean, like, his, his, his point is that... Um, I hope I'm not ruining it, but his point is that like in the 90s, the Cold War's over. So it's just about Americans hanging out, going to the mall, being mm -hmm. cool, being kind of complacent. And he's like, Clueless is the ultimate film for that. No, yeah, that's really interesting. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, I mean, again, Clueless is full of iconic moments. I think that the thing that links a lot of these really 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 good chick flicks and you know films targeted towards young women about romance is the fact that they have incredibly strong supporting casts so clueless yes. has wallace sean in it he, yeah he's the male teacher that they're trying to set up with the other one i mean wallace oh, sean, yeah for most people he's probably known as the voice of the t-rex in toy story oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um paul um paul rudd's in it as well Oh yeah, Paul Rudd. I forgot that he was in it. He looks the exact yeah. same. Man has not aged. He does. Life. He never ages. We haven't even talked about the fact yet that Clueless is like a, a retelling of Emma. Uh, yes. Yeah, I remember reading that somewhere. That's yeah. I think that's really interesting. But aren't a lot of chick flicks based on, I guess you could say, classics like Emma, and like a lot of them are based on Shakespeare. Um, like Ten Things I Hate About You, isn't that? Um, Oh, yeah. I can't remember what that is. Taming of I the Shrew or something. Yeah. And then there's something else that's based on another... Maybe that's Lion King. Everyone says Lion King is based on Hamlet. Yeah, Ten Things I Hate About You is based on Taming of the Shrew. Yeah. Also a great movie. Heath Ledger in it is amazing. Absolutely. And uh, Julia Stiles, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. So there you go. Again, a good cast that kind of had good foresight into people that would be massive in the 2000s mm. that film came out in 1999 yeah she's <laughs> the man that was the other one 12th night that's the one with um amanda barnes is it amanda Bynes, yeah. but yeah Bynes, Bynes. Like, yeah again another uh like 90s chick flick icon absolutely but... and channing tatum's in that too <laughs> There you go. I mean, we've talked a lot about actors and kind of like flipping genres and stuff like that with mm. Richard here. I mean, Channing Tatum's an interesting one in that he can go from rom-coms to comedies to like, he was even in um, the Coen Brothers film, Hail Caesar, which is a little bit underrated. He's very good in that. He's, he's a Hollywood star who's also a Soviet double agent. Very enjoyable film. Uh, I, I thought I'd just mention, I brought it up earlier, Wallace Shawn in... Um, Clueless. He's in a really fantastic film from the eighties called My Dinner with Andre, which oh okay, it's talked about a I little bit now. It. Oh, it's uh, okay. The whole film is one long dinner. Oh, interesting. It's just a conversation between two men. That's the film. Very oh, must be a good conversation. <laughs> it's, it's really <laughs> the last <interesting>. two hours. <laughs> so he's he's been in some very interesting stuff. So it's cool to see him in Clueless just randomly. Mm. Uh, Miss Congeniality. Yes, another icon. I think Miss Congeniality is really interesting. And so is Sandra Bullock as well. She was really popular with these kind of movies. But Miss Congeniality, yeah, super interesting. I'm not sure how what I feel about that because I remember um, in Friends, there's like an episode where Chandler's obsessed with Miss Congeniality. And it's this idea of um, Sandra Bullock is basically kind of a guy's wet dream basically of what a woman should be of this kind of badass uh like secret agent but also the super skinny model who can win and again it's the cool girl trope that she's kind of you know badass and can do whatever she wants and can fight and is cool and loves to eat everything but is still super sexy and skinny and unattainable but um yeah I think that's really interesting that one that's a good point. I don't think I've really considered the way that tropes have been used around Sandra Bullock's character in that film before. No, she does. She's kind of similar in the proposal as well. 
I, I think the proposal is great as um, a chick flick as well. Another really easy one to watch. But again, it's just kind of like cold and feeling kind of bitchy girl, but she's still super sexy and cool. And and also Sandra Bullock is gorgeous. Like she can, she can't really pass off the, uh, like I'm the unnoticed girl who's not obviously pretty. I take my glasses off kind of trope. Yeah, I think that's kind of Sandra Bullock's vibe throughout, isn't it? In like most mm. films, she kind of and she pulls it off to be fair incredibly well. You do believe she that she, she can be this badass and be very, very beautiful. I mean, there's lots of just. I mean, just to give a shout out again, if we're talking about strange career paths for actors, the first film I think that was like a really big sort of break for her into into films was Speed. She's the she's the co lead in Speed. Mm, I've not seen that one. Speed is incredibly fun. If you if like if people haven't seen it and are listening or you know please do give it a watch. It's the, it, I'm sure people know the concept of it. It's there's a bus. It has a bomb on it. If the bus goes under a certain speed, it's like thirty miles per hour or something. The bomb goes off. So the bus has okay. to speed through LA. At to, uh, it's really fun. It's a really fun film. It's Keanu Reeves as well and Dennis Hopper. Oh, mm. brilliant! Can't go wrong with that. But in terms of miscongeniality, we're talking about. Sandra Bullock in it, who is fantastic. Again, like all good chick flicks, incredible side cast. It might be the best side cast of any of them in that it has William Shatner in it, Captain Kirk. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. And it's got Candice Bergen, who is fantastic in it. Yeah. What's your perfect date? May 23rd. Not too hot, not too cold. You don't need a jacket. Brilliant line. Brilliant line. That's brilliant. <laughs> Heather Burns' is Miss Red Island gives that line. Fantastic. And we haven't even mentioned probably the best element of the film, Michael Caine. Yeah, yes. Isn't he the designer or something? He's the one who goes in to do the montage to fix her up. And Yeah. Like, I'm not sure what, what like, his job title is specifically in that film, but he's kind of like her coach, isn't he? He kind of coaches her through every yeah. aspect of <laughs> the Miss USA beauty pageant. He's absolutely fantastic in it. There's so many good lines from him. There's the bit where they first meet. And he, he's, he's just absolutely, it's like dissing her basically in every single way he can to try and whip mm. her into shape. She's walking down the street and he says, I haven't seen her walk like that since Jurassic Park. <laughs> oh God. It's fantastic. He's so funny in it. Uh, oh man. And it's, it's difficult to talk about these films just because they're so ubiquitous. I've seen them so much that it's difficult to kind yeah. of specify what about it is so brilliant but again it's yeah. very witty it's very funny it's really fast paced there's no it is messing about it is. they're charming in their own kind of way oh yeah i mean they're incredibly charming here we go his name's victor melling in the film he's a he is a beauty pageant coach that's how Lovely. he's described <laughs> <laughs> and like there's some <sighs> there's the great um line as well that i love where uh, Sandra Bullock's character has to give that speech where she's asked, you know, and if you could have one change to the world, what would it be? She says, oh, yeah. toughest sentences for parole violators. <laughs> <laughs> and then she goes, and world peace, just to make everyone happy. But again, brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, that film actually has. The only slightly in touch character. <laughs> Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. And the fact that that film is about terrorism as well is bizarre. Like, I always kind of forget that that's yeah. the whole point. Yeah, exactly. It's so overlooked. And it, like, it starts out with that, um, the, the, like, the Russian arms deal going down in that restaurant. That's the opening scene. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right, yeah. Did you ever see Miss Congeniality 2, Armed and Fabulous? Oh, no, I didn't. Does it live up to one? It's not as good as one, but it is fun. Okay. The, the chief joy about Miss Congeniality 2 for me is that the bad guy in it is uh, Nick Offerman, Ron Swanson from Parks and Rec. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, that's right. It's all set in Las Vegas, that one. And so, like, there's some good stuff for them having to go down, like, catwalks dressed up and all this kind of stuff. It's very mm. funny. And this is the big fight at the end takes place in, um, it's like Treasure Island. It's like a sinking pirate ship. It's cool. I like the second one. Brilliant. Sandra Bullock is in quite a lot of chick flicks in the 90s, I find. She was in um, Two Weeks Notice as well and My Best Friend's Wedding. Like, she's definitely kind of part of the 90s movement of chick flicks. 
yeah you're absolutely right she's she was like uh i mean I, I suppose she still is i haven't seen her in that much that recently well she did oceans eight didn't she yeah she was i don't know if you can class that as a chick flick but it's definitely within that kind of realm that's a good question if you're talking about those sort of all female remakes like uh ghostbusters yeah. and oceans eight if they're chick flicks or not yeah i'm not sure again like would you say that about the original Ghostbusters, would you say they're, or, did you, or was it a dick flick? <laughs> yeah. Do you apply that to there? Like Ocean's Eleven? Like, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, it's just interesting. Like, it's for me, like, dick flick is like Michael Bay, you know? Yeah. Like, explosions, <laughs> women in bikinis, yeah. that kind of thing. Vin Diesel, After Furious, all <laughs> yeah. <love> of that. <laughs> Vin Diesel has, like, the lowest voice known to man. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like he's in dire need of a cough suite whenever I hear him. Yeah, give him a stretchful, poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd, I'd just like, we've been talking for a little over an hour. Um, yeah. So I thought I'd just ask you a couple of questions to end it off. We haven't talked about any British rom coms yet. And of course, there's the whole like Richard Curtis universe, like, you know, Love Actually, About Time, oh, Bridget Jones' yeah. Diary. What are your thoughts on all those kind of films? I think they're really interesting. It's it's interesting that you said that we hadn't spoken about British films. I hadn't really made that divide before, but I can kind of see now that, you know, listing Bridget Jones and Love Actually, there is a very different kind of vibe to it. I think Bridget Jones is great. Bridget Jones has such longevity and was so interesting and I think so relatable to so many like people. Um, and isn't it Renee Zellweger? So yeah, she's cast as Bridget. She's great as well. Hugh Grant's in them as as well. He's, uh, I think, another kind of profound chick flick character or actor. I think he gets around in that. He's cast as the, as the kind of like the slightly charming but aloof guy in a lot of them. Yeah, and it, like, again, really good supporting cast. Lynn from Alan Partridge is in it, Felicity Montague. <laughs> so like, if mm. you're a fan of Alan Partridge, that's always good. And there's a great scene in Bridget Jones, where she's working for this publishers, where Daniel Cleaver, the Hugh Grant character, is her boss, and she's mm. doing this talk about a new book, and in the crowd, they have Salman Rushdie. So it's bizarre seeing him in any film, but in that, it's just like, okay, Salman Rushdie's in it. Hello. And then they, they make a joke about Jeffrey Archer, and then it cuts to Jeffrey Archer actually being in the crowd as well. Oh, really? I hadn't, I hadn't picked up on that. It's, it's not a scene that I, like, I think of whenever I think of the film, but then after a minute, I'm like, Oh, it wasn't Salman Rushdie in it. Like, it's just so bizarre. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and obviously, like, there's the iconic um, bit where she goes to the what she thinks is the, the fancy dress party, and it isn't. Oh, God, I know. In the bunny outfit. Brilliant. Just upsetting. Yeah. I mean, again, a, a weird thread going throughout that film that, like, again, it's one of those really strange things about chick flicks. There's, like, constant references to Saddam Hussein in that film. Oh, is there? If you see it, there's like the Colin Firth character is a human rights lawyer who's trying to protect people who might be victimized by Saddam Hussein. Oh, weird. And when Renee Zellweger quits working for Hugh Grant after their breakup, I think the phrase she uses is, I'd rather wipe Saddam Hussein's bottom than get back together with you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Oh, yeah. What really things have picked up. I guess it's quite like, Again, a very, is it 90s? Early noughties kind of presence, this idea of like unrest in the Middle East pervading in British society. That's a really interesting thing to have picked up on. Useless bit of prop trivia, but apparently Mr. Darcy was based on Keir Starmer um, at the time because he was a really famous human rights lawyer in the 90s. And I think Helen Fielding, when she wrote the book, based, because he's also called Mr. Darcy as well, isn't he? On um, Richard hilarious on uh, Keir Starmer and actually I, I can kind of see the parallels I think if you look at early pictures of Colin Firth and young Keir Starmer there are a couple of physical kind of similarities where you're like oh okay I can see why you were cast as <laughs> Keir Starmer <laughs> <laughs> I've just looked it up it came out in 2001 so I guess that kind of okay. was the time when people were thinking about the Middle East a bit more. This is like mm. the dawn of the Bush presidency, the second one. Yeah. Yeah. It's just before 9-11 as well, though, isn't it? 
Yes, it is very much so. I guess it was uh, it was released in April two thousand and one. There you go. So only yeah. a few months before. And uh, again, really great supporting cast. Jim Broadbent is in it as the dad. Yeah. Wonderful. Moaning Myrtle's in it. Yes, she is. Shelley Henderson. I forgot about that. Yeah. I mean, the bit that, like, about that film that I never really get is that at the beginning, she sees Colin Firth at the Christmas party. And like, there's the kind of the awkward sort of record scratch kind of moment where she's yeah. like, oh, he's gorgeous. But he's wearing a weird jumper. I'm like, <laughs> why is that bothering you? It's Christmas. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Everyone. And I, isn't she also in a terrible outfit? Like, you can't really judge someone if you're not. Yeah, it's very hypocritical. I can see that. Interestingly, that um, Bridget Jones's diary, I've literally just learned it was directed by a woman. Interesting. It's not often that chick flicks are directed by women. No. Sharon. Oh, really? No, that's so interesting. Wow, that chick flicks are kind of crafted out of the male gaze of a male director. Really interesting. Yeah, Gary Marshall was the guy that directed Pretty Woman and Runaway Bride, you know. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's representative of the fact that there are very few, you know, unfortunately, very few female directors just in general. It's very much still a man's world directing, which is a massive shame. I mean, in, in the whole history yeah. of the Oscars, I think only two women have ever won Best Director, and one of those was the last time yeah. there was an Oscars. Yeah, it was terrible. Even um, male critics, now that I think about it as well, like critics, film, film reviews and film critics are still predom uh, predominantly dominated by men and again i think it links back to this idea of dismissing chick flicks if it's historically been only judged like highbrow like in papers and things like that by men then obviously it's going to be dismissed if it's so kind of overlooked and seen as a pejorative that all these male critics aren't kind of valuing it in the same way that perhaps a female critic could see it otherwise and relate to differently oh, you're absolutely right i mean like in terms of like known female film critics there's only really one that i can think of and it's pauline kale who's an american film critic for many years but like she's the one it's you know it's it's bad that you can only really point to one of them absolutely just to just to finish up i thought i'd ask you a couple of questions starting with is there a a, a chick flick that you think is particularly terrible is there one that you really don't like oh that's interesting um I think, um, is it called What a Girl Wants? I think, again, it's the Amanda Bar Barnes, whatever her name is, I can't, Amanda Burns? Amanda Burns, Amanda Barnes. Yeah. Um, that one's terrible. I never really got behind her as an actress. I could, like, everyone obviously loved Lindsay and I felt that Amanda was just another kind of, again, 90s icon. And it's quite sad. I think she's not doing very well at the moment. It's really sad seeing all these kind of, 90 stars like Lindsay and Britney and Amanda all just kind of crashing and burning and just like not being very happy. Um, but no, I didn't, I, what a girl wants. Also with Colin Firth in, um, he's like the, I can't remember what he is, he's a minister or something, but I never really got behind that. And she did a bunch of other stuff. She's the man as well. Um, they, I felt they were just a little bit too kind of, um, I can't quite think what the word is. Insincere, maybe. They didn't have quite the same kind of charming feeling that a lot of the others had. Right. That's interesting. If, if you were going to recommend one, one, rom, one chick flick, one rom-com to rule them all, what would be the one? Wow, what a question. Um, I think I'll probably do Pretty Woman. I think that's a really good staple piece to, to yeah, end on. <laughs> And as we've said, you know, there's a lot to discuss there in terms of its feminism and its status as a night. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I thought just to finish it off for good, I'd ask you this. I think watching chick flicks is very much like a thing you do when you're like an early teenager, maybe like 12 or 13. That's when you start to get into them. Do you remember what like the first one you saw was that kind of ushered you into that world? Um, yes, I think it was Aquamarine. Did you ever see that? No, it it's terrible. I I I don't think I can say anything about it, but it was just the most fun, indulgent. Like the main character is a mermaid, but she get like ends up on land, and then she kind of she's um, Emma Roberts is in it as well. Actually, Wild Child. We haven't even talked about Wild Child. I feel like that's a great like staple piece chick flick. But um, 
yeah Emma Roberts is in it as well and it was just it was just so fun and so silly and it was just everything that you kind of wanted to watch when you were like 12. <laughs> but I don't think I would go back to it now whereas some of the other movies I could watch still endlessly but yeah Wild Child or Aquamarine I think they were definitely one of the first ones. Right it just shows how much there is to talk about because like as you say Wild Child's kind of like an obvious one and Emma Roberts is kind of like the uncrowned queen of <laughs> chick flick isn't she? Yeah, she is. Oh well there you go. Thank you so much for coming on to the Ball Film Podcast. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for having me. I've had a great time. Brilliant. Would you like to uh, plug any of your social media accounts? Um, yes, please uh, follow my section in the board, the art section at the board arts on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. There should be another episode this time next week. So goodbye and enjoy the sun while you can. Thank you very much for listening.